Welcome to the Pragmatic Lead Podcast. Your hosts are Alex Pachuk and John Massey. We have conversations with folks throughout the tech industry to get real-world perspective on how people make things happen for their careers and businesses. Check out pragmatically.com for more content just like this. All right, so Edgar, uh, you want to introduce yourself? My name is Edgar Muentes. At American Express, I am thrilled to be the software engineering lead for some of the most tremendously talented engineers I have had the good fortune to work alongside. All right, cool. So and you're doing some leadership work, right? So you're tech lead. Yeah, absolutely. As a tech lead at Amex, I've had lots of excellent opportunities to lead positive change. I've been on Tiger teams, small think tanks of devs from different teams tackling a complex task for just a sprint or two. I also spin up teams to create new internal tools. And of course, I spend most of my time leading my awesome team to develop superb customer experiences. So Edgar, myself and and John are going way back. We worked together at Priceline for a couple of years. So we've known each other for for multiple years. And uh, we know Edgar as like awesome, great engineer and also awesome, fun, great guy to hang out with. So today we're going to talk about culture. We're going to talk about how to lead teams remotely. So yeah, so we want to get some some advice from you, Edgar. Yeah, it'd be a pleasure. I love spending time with y'all, and I love working on projects with y'all. I have a lot of respect for your uh, engineering capability and your interest in uh, people. I've always appreciated uh, that you not only take an interest in in uh, your team as like human beings, you know, wondering about how their days are going and thinking about how to make work enjoyable for them, uh, but also trying to solve that in a way that provides engineering benefit. Yeah, uh, it's a complex balance to have, and uh, I've yeah. always appreciated both of your approaches to it. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, let's let's start with um, uh, kind of I'm going through um something like this right now, and I'm 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 interested for myself to learn from you for myself. So when you join a new team, what are you looking for in the culture? Like, in the, how do you assess the culture of the team? How do you know like what your goals uh, are? What your um, expectations are? as an individual contributor or a lead on a team, like how do you know if the team is culture is healthy and is, is good? I got some excellent advice from a fellow uh, excellent engineer and uh, excellent uh, friend uh, that you both know, uh, Mike Gertrudes. He once told me uh, that the, your first day in, you know, when you're first starting is the perfect time uh, the, to ask all of the stupid questions anything that might come off as rude or inconsiderate or whatever, like, uh, do we like this guy? You know, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever thing you might be thinking of. I sense some tension. Is there tension? You know, like uh, later on in your career, questions like that can kind of seem like you're taking sides, kind of putting your pitting yourself against whoever you're asking about, as opposed to the actual innocuous question that it is like, I genuinely don't know if there's some sort of an issue uh, from a past event. Maybe we have communication issues that we can resolve. But at this time, people are more frustrated than they are like uh, at the stage where they want to find a solution. So when you're new to a team, that's the, uh, it's like having a superpower. You can ask anything and you can just say, hey, it's my first day. Hey, it's my first week. Hey, I literally just got here and that's the first time I've ever heard of that. And you just become like a Super Mario after taking a star. You just become invincible for a little while and uh, can kind of uh, get a feel. 
So I highly encourage anybody who is starting on a new team to ask uh, all the questions and don't be embarrassed and uh, don't worry about looking like you don't know what you're talking about because uh, there are likely gaps in interpersonal relationship issues, in technical limitations. So things that you know from years of experience are definitely 100% doable that they say are not, not because they are ignorant and don't know that it's possible, but because they perceive it as like a, a blocker within the organization of the culture of the company, either that there's another team that does that. So don't take responsibility for things you can avoid taking responsibility for. You know, like you can learn a lot from asking these questions beyond the answer to your question. If the answer to the question, is this doable, when you know it's doable, the answer is no. You can ask uh, further, deeper questions to find out if it's a culture thing, if it's a corporate structure thing, or if it's this person's opinion, and gain multiple directions of insight to build a basis for your opinion about how things are going without directly calling people out uh, or saying that things are bad or negative and things like that, you know? So if I'm coming into a team for the first time, or if this is my first time ever hearing this advice, what types of questions like, should I kind of start thinking about? Mm -hmm. I would say uh, the first thing that we should do is, uh, I was a recruiter for a while at uh, Robert Half Technology, and my job was to understand the team structure so that I could effectively uh, share the list of engineers that I had that were looking for jobs and kind of uh, build them into uh, the shape that their company needed. So as I'm interviewing people to get them new jobs elsewhere, I can understand what the company that they're leaving will need me to replace. And in the same way I approach uh, joining a new team, I ask the people that I work with, who are the people that are around you? Who do you feel like you rely on or they're necessary parts of your day, their requirements? So I kind of understand what each role's requirements are in terms of the people that they're connected to. And as I kind of flesh out the structure of the team and the order of operations that they have to follow in order to get things to production, I can begin to find uh, uh, deeper questions. So uh, basically, another excellent coworker that we both work with, Stephen Ferreira, might call it a data-driven uh, approach to uh, finding the questions that you need to ask. So rather than suggesting questions directly, what I suggest is uh, finding out who the people are, uh, what their roles are, and filling in the blanks in between, like why do we need that? And um, uh, should we be taking more responsibility? Things like that. Just find your questions within the structure. And uh, if you prefer, I could also give some, some questions, specific questions, if that helps. Yeah, what would be like? Sure. Uh, yeah, so usually I say, um, who do you report to? You know, who's on your team? You know, that says a lot about who. So for example, we have platform teams whose job is to understand what other people's problems are and help to build a, a solution that solves multiple people's problems so that we don't have to think about them, kind of abstract problems away from the team and build them into small reusable parts, whether that's libraries of code or processes that we need to follow and standardize and have everyone follow. So we all gain the maximum benefit across the different approaches that we have for doing the same things. So when you ask someone who's on their team and they exclude the platform team, you know, what does that mean? You know, these, uh, they should be talking to them daily. And maybe if they have, every time they have a problem, they should be escalating it somehow. They should be considering the platform team a part of their team, even if they're not directly delivering uh, on their releases. They're making it possible for their releases to be smoother and they should be working persistently on that, right? But maybe that's not how everybody feels. So if you ask who's on your team and they say two people and you, you uh, start to get a lay of the land and you realize that a bunch of people work with these people, Maybe they're thinking of product as being their opposition instead of their, their partners in delivering things to production. In any case, uh, yeah, who's on your team is a good starter question. 
who do you report to? It's an excellent question uh, for everybody. And, um, you know, what are you working on is a vitally important question. And the folks who don't have an answer to that, if you see consistently from team member to team member that they don't know what they're working on or that they can only describe it kind of passively, like uh, stuff for testing, you know, but they don't have any specific answers, that might not be that they're not working on something specific, but that they don't understand the business value of it. And um, uh, it kind of helps you to say, um, okay, I want to maybe work on some ownership with so-and-so, you know, or maybe they have the ownership, but they don't think I'll understand, you know, so I want to work on perception about me so that they feel like I'm going to understand what they have to say or that I care. Uh, I joined a team recently, not too long ago, and uh, the team member said, hey, I just wanted to let you know I won't bother you. And I said, um, why do you think that you're going to bother me? We're just now talking for the you know, first time about being on the team together. They said, that's, the, that's what we've been told is, uh, you know, if you have a problem, figure it out. Your lead shouldn't have to carry the weight of every single person dangling from their arms, you know, all day long in addition to their other responsibilities. And I said, uh, you know, if everyone is communicating to me all the time, it's a very lightweight. I get little nibbles here and there. Uh, but if you wait until you have a massive problem and two other people have a massive problem and they've waited until it became a huge problem, now I have three huge problems hanging around my neck. But if we're talking all the time, I can understand how you're approaching problems and we can work together to improve my perception of what you're delivering. And uh, we can work for the individual team members uh, to see what I value and what I'm expecting to see from them so that we're persistently in alignment. So I don't know if that helps. Yeah, so... Based on those questions, if I could kind of, uh, it sounds there's like three, I got three kind of big buckets that you're exploring. First is, I really like the ask who is on your team and look for exclusions. Mm -hmm. And that helps understand how teams, or at least the team you're working with, sees their place in the organization and the engagements. Another place I see that pop up is when people use they versus we, mm -hmm. or them versus we, or us. It's the exclusion of self from the other folks that they think differently than I do or they work differently than I do. Therefore, we're not the same and we're not actually a team, which I think speaks volumes for the larger culture that circles around the people that you're influencing. The what are you working on? Loved that, uh, especially how you tied it into how well do your engineers or do your staff understand the objectives of what you're trying to accomplish and asking questions around around those around that topic specifically and the third is it sounded like accountability right oh more like establishing pipelines of communication to make sure that you're getting the feedback that you need or that you understand like understanding how open our engineers or your reports are to talking to you directly about things yeah uh to that third point i think um it's vitally important to have data to make our decisions on. And I can't always sit down and draw myself a picture of everything just from my imagination. Imagine waking up from a dream and trying to describe it to someone an hour later. Just because it happened and just because you were there and you experienced it doesn't mean that you're going to have the full clear picture, right? In order for me to, uh, I would say the third uh, item is more about uh, creating uh, the expectation, like setting the expectation and the standard within the team that we should be providing data continuously, just open your eyes when you need them, or just, uh, you know, you know, or just use your feet to walk around and sometimes your hands or something like that. Like you're always using the things for the appropriate um, reason and you need to establish what the reason for communication is. Uh, the, the reason for communication within a team is to 
persistently have a source of data to help uh, understand where the team needs to grow, where you need to take responsibility for that, where you need to assign to the team, like challenge the team to take responsibility themselves, where you need to work on perception. Uh, so something that I was talking about with the team in terms of accountability, I think more to your second uh, bullet point, which was um, you know, us versus them, right? Uh, what are our responsibilities, right? So uh, if someone comes to your desk and they say, you know, uh, the room is uh, not warm enough, we need to make the room warmer. I have a ticket, I talk with marketing, I talk with design, and we're gonna set a fire in the living room. The room's gonna be warmer, you know, and you say, okay, well, you know, I have some feedback, you know, I'm gonna tell you the problem and I'm gonna give, put the onus on you to give me a solution, you know, meet up with marketing, meet up with design, it's gonna burn the rug. Okay, I met up with marketing and design, they wanna elevate the flame off of the ground. So they've designed this thing that goes underneath it. You need to build both of those. The points of your tickets, the complexity of your task is increasing. You have another problem. You put it on their plate. You say, uh, the room is filling with smoke. Uh, we're going to die. Okay, crack a window. You know, uh, now you have your, the complexity of your ticket has increased three times because you keep putting the onus on the other uh, side. So you say, they made it really complicated. They added this thing underneath the fire. They uh, added this window that it used to not open. Now I have to build a new window that opens they're blowing this out of proportion, you should be taking responsibility for that. You should say in the beginning, a fire in the living room, there are many ways to achieve the business goal of warming the room. I propose, I take responsibility, and I want to say that from my experience as an engineer, I think that this would be a good idea. Let's get an electric heater. There's an NPM module for an electric heater. It's a three-point ticket. I don't need to do any of the code writing. We don't need to internalize it or create an open source tool for it or something like that. Like, uh, I don't have to have an external team uh, approve the PR so that we can repeat the success across multiple teams. And even if I wanted to do that, we could do that at a later time. How do you feel about my proposal as opposed to continuously putting the responsibility on someone else and being disappointed when they're not understanding what your concerns are because you didn't communicate? You know, that works on the product side and on the engineer side that if we spend less time telling other people problems and spend more time telling other people what we think the solutions are, we're going to get it wrong for sure. But we're going to get better and better and better and get closer and closer and closer to getting it right by trying. Yeah. I, yeah. I really like the, um, the uh, recommendation of like when you start, just use that time window. It's pretty narrow window. Use that time to kind of ask stupid questions, right? And uh, I, I, I can recommend one book, which was recommended to me by Mike Gertrude's, The First 90 Days. Read mm -hmm. the book, pretty awesome book. And it doesn't have to be only in that narrow window when you start. Just use, use those questions all the time uh, because it's never, never, you know, stupid idea to ask stupid questions. And I have like five, five questions I took out of that book. It kind of relates to what you recommended with um, uh, what is the strength and weakness of our strategy? Like, do you know, do people know what they're actually working on? So that's kind of relates to what you, what you said. What are the biggest challenges and opportunities that we have on the team in kind of long-term and mid-term? And what resources can we leverage more effectively? Kind of like what's available, what kind of we are overlooking as a team? How can we improve the process or the way we work together? Right. People have those ideas and it's like perfect time to kind of start asking those questions. And great. Yeah. And like if you're a tech lead uh, manager, just ask, what should be my priority as a new manager on a team? Like what do they that kind of would expose what they expect from the manager? And that kind of will give you a sense of what the, what the challenges are. So I highly recommend the book and it kind of 
echoes what you said it, uh, before. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Texas, so I use a lot, uh, a lot of funky analogies like burning the living room down. So <laughs> it's not as polished as what it sounds like the book is advising. Uh, so definitely check out that book. To, yeah, uh, check out the book, but head. stories, uh, stories are, are better. And don't set <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. a fire. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I Use love FDM it. modules or like yeah. <laughs> electric heaters. <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> yes. I'm not an, I'm not an electrical engineer. I'm a software engineer. And so I don't mind using the, uh, the electric uh, heater module and rather than building my own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a good first step to assess the culture, but, um, like in your opinion, what makes a good culture? Like, how do you know, like when you join a new team, oh, this culture needs work, needs improvement, or you, th you say it's, it's perfect. It's great. I like the culture. What's, what's your definition of, of a good culture? I think it's important for any culture to have like goals. If you notice that people don't have an aspiration, like um, people don't need to, if people want to be promoted, I had a team member who was saying that, uh, you know, um, what do I have to do to be promoted around here and X, Y, and Z and things like that. I think that's kind of the wrong approach. I think the people that I have seen in my experience um, from company to company, across companies, people who are promoted aren't the people who are like, uh, did I check all your boxes? Those people get promoted, sure. But uh, I've seen what I, what I expect to see in a good culture is people saying, I want to make positive change. You know, those are the people that I want. Like if I'm in the trenches and I'm having a difficult time, I don't want to be around the guy who's like, uh, oh, is helping you going to get me a promotion? It isn't? Oh, well, then I'll talk to you later. You know, I want to be surrounded by the people who are like, I care about, you know, they don't have to say, oh, credit. Uh, that's a great idea. You know, we should have people who are deeply in debt get 17 more credit cards. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, what I'm talking about is, you know, in my domain of expertise as a software engineer, as a UI developer or an API you know, provider, how can I make the ergonomics of this uh, more comfortable for my users? If people are thinking like that and uh, they're being held accountable to that, they're not having people come to their desk and complain that they didn't do it in five minutes. Uh, they're hearing them say, if we spend a little bit more time, we can do this right. And they're uh, happy to provide that to our users rather than meeting their deadline. I was thinking about what you said. I really like how you phrased the people that are getting promoted aren't the ones checking the boxes. But there's, there's a position that we put ourselves in within each company. And the, uh, that ask for a promotion or that almost that putting that pressure on the manager, that demand or said, like, my expectation is that you will promote me. In, versus the, the, other, the other aspect is how can, I, how can I be of service to my team and to the company? says a lot, I think, it sounds like, to the character of the individual. One is a very selfish perspective, thinking of personal growth, which obviously is, is important, um, but it's from the position of, I do this thing, or if, when I put this in, I expect to get this back, versus the opposite is, I'm just going to continue to put in and hope for the best. Yeah. I think folks should definitely take responsibility for their career growth, and they should be asking those questions, like, if you don't understand, uh, if you don't have the data to shape your actions so that they can be reflected the way that you intended them to, right? If you're a surgeon and you perform life-saving heart replacements like 10 times a week, right? And somebody says, what do you do? And you say, I cut people. You know, they might be scared of you. You know, they, they might not want to put you in front of a, a promotion panel uh, and like vouch for you because you cut people. 
you know, uh, your phrasing, the way that you, if you don't understand from your manager what the expectations are, I just want to clarify that I'm not saying that going for a promotion is bad uh, for the culture or something like that. You should be uh, aware of what the expectations are and you should hold yourself accountable to not only delivering on that, which you're probably doing now, but clarifying that you're delivering that on those expectations by understanding what they are and knowing when somebody asks you, you're grabbing a cup of coffee and your manager asks you, hey, I was thinking about uh, promotions are coming up. Have you worked on anything that showed your leadership and you literally don't know? Uh, that's too late. You should be thinking about that in advance. Uh, and your manager should be helping you to like shape uh, that data, like understanding how what you're doing is positively impacting the company. That was one of the great things about uh, working at Priceline. We had Steven Daimler on our team and Steven spent a lot of time gathering data to say, it's important to me for you to know that our users have been significantly positively impacted by the work you did this week. Great job, team. I'm not just saying great job and giving out high fives. I have data to back it up. And you should be taking that responsibility yourself. So just to clarify, I'm not saying that wanting to be promoted and putting in the work to be promoted is bad. What I'm saying is that having a culture where you care about uh, things being well just creates a, a more fertile ground to build more onto. If everybody feels like their job is uh, frustrating and things like that, that's understandable. Work is work. But it's different to be like frustrated by work uh, than it is to uh, have like a culture that just kind of beats you down for trying to do your best, you know. So a culture where people encourage you uh, for trying to find what is good about what you do and find the best way to approach a problem and uh, that helps you to grow in your engineering capability. And, um, you know, that's the kind of culture that I want. So, for example, uh, I remember we had a team member who had just started and uh, he wanted to clear a he, The first thing he did was put in a pull request to remove a bunch of uh, dependencies that, um, that we didn't need. They were like one-liners that we were NPM installing. And he significantly positively impacted our deploy time for testing, for going to E3. Uh, everything was a lot quicker. Uh, we had a lot less uh, situations where we got something flagged as, uh, you know, uh, it's a new dependency and we're not going to allow you to deploy it to any environment just because we haven't checked it yet. Not because there's a problem with it, but because we need time to validate that there's not a security risk here or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but nothing had changed, really. Uh, maybe it was like a documentation or whatever it was. We, we saw the wait. Uh, sometimes uh, like 24 hours and we're trying to test for a deploy. And anyway, the package lock takes care of that now, but at the time we weren't using it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you're saying is you're looking for a goal or vision driven culture rather than promotion driven culture. Yeah. Like uh, any goals, basically. I mean, it doesn't have to be like corporate goals. It can be like personal goals for professional development. Um, like, right. As a manager, at least, if you don't have a path that your team wants to go down, it's hard to lead them there. You know, you have where you want things to go, obviously. Uh, you have where your company wants things to go. But if you're not helping your individuals get to where they want to go, then they might be going to another company. You know, uh, they might be going to another team. And uh, a culture of goals, a culture of aspirations is a culture with lots of opportunities to create positive change and to give people uh, a roadmap for how to get there. Uh, we're not all, uh, you know, genies or anything like that. We're not always going to have the answers. But if people are open and willing to work with you to get there, like I was saying before, the person that says, that doesn't sound like it's going to give me a promotion. So even though you're my manager and even though you want to touch base on this and you want what's best for me and the team, 
uh, I'm not going to interact with you because I don't perceive it as an opportunity for me to immediately get a promotion or something like that. You know, basically promotions aside, the idea that uh, people are uh, not open to positive change, the idea that people uh, don't have aspirations and things like that, that's uh, very detrimental to, uh, to any team's culture. Right. It's almost like promotion should be a side effect of all the kind of positive impact and, and, and all the things that we do. Right. So it's like promotion is like it's just a recognition for what you've done and things that, you know, all the impact that you've created through the code or software or whatever interactions you have you had on the yep. team. And I find that very interesting to uh, what you said. A lot of teams feel that the work that they do, you know, isn't curing a disease or something like that. You know, they'll never be recognized for the work that they're doing. And I don't believe that that's true. Maybe the culture has some blockers to that. Uh, but the, the, what we need to work on is fixing that, if that's a reality. You know, not uh, dismissing uh, BAU, they call it, business as usual work. Maintaining the business is highly valuable. It was uh, Michael Jackson from uh, React Training of uh, yeah, uh, fame who had said that, uh, you know, we shouldn't refer to a legacy code as legacy code. We should refer to it as revenue code. It's the code that keeps all of our paychecks coming. It's the code that keeps the lights on and, you know, everybody's contributions have value. And um, as a team, we should be working, especially like as managers, we should be working to like um, understand, just like I was saying, each individual should understand what their manager is expecting from them. We should be understanding what the organization expects from our team helping to show the leadership in the work that they do, helping to show the innovation, uh, the, the technical capability and things like that, even of BAU. Yep. So now that we all kind of work in remotely and it's important to keep the culture, maintain the culture and also the communication, keep everything kind of keep going. How do you do that? How do you, how do you maintain that while working remotely? I think uh, it's definitely been a significant change. I work with a team uh, in cross teams inside of Amex. Uh, we volunteer two hours a week to curriculum development for Code Nation, a nonprofit that teaches uh, students from under-resourced high schools software engineering and uh, connects them with uh, folks at these companies. They actually, before the pandemic, we had a classroom of 24 students that would come into the office we provide them pizza and uh, we would rotate out instructors uh, with people that we had um, uh, sourced as volunteers. We have 30 folks that we would rotate out as volunteers to teach the class and a core team of four engineers. And when we, we ran into some issues with their laptops uh, running slow and things like that, right before the pandemic, uh, we sat down and re-imaged all of their machines to be Linux machines. So they have Zoom and VS Code working from an image that we install on all their laptops just in time. As soon as we went remote, it was the only reason we were able to continue teaching these students. And um, this uh, sort of, uh, we had already been in the habit of collaborating remotely on these things. We would spend an hour during the work week, wherever we were on whatever floor we were at with whatever project or team we were working on, we would just get on a, a WebEx call. So we were lucky. We had a lot of practice beforehand. Basically, something that I've run into now uh, running intern programs and teaching these classes is uh, that you have to schedule. Uh, time to be silly. You have to schedule time to uh, ideate on a whiteboard. You, you can't run into each other anymore and just happen to talk about a problem. So what I've been doing is um, uh, one thing, I've been making sure that the team has fun together. I do Google Earth trips to museums around the world. And I take my team. I open it up to the entire company. 
message it on the big channels and we just walk around the museum. People can chime in and talk. They laugh together with a reference it later in meetings. Another thing that we do is uh, we have uh, technical uh, discussions in small groups. Uh, we either have like one-on-one -on -one pair programming now, which we definitely did not often do in person. Uh, talking out loud at our desk right next to someone else who's trying to work and doesn't have an interest in that. We have the opportunity now to have these isolated moments where we can schedule time to pair program for a half hour or an hour on something and leave them to continue uh, completing it or schedule some more time to work together on it. So pair programming has definitely increased significantly since we went remote, not even what, for blockers. What's Sorry, um, So paired, paired programming, what, how do you think being remote has had an It sounds like, is that a positive effect, do you think, of more engagement? In pair programming? Uh, yeah, I think uh, pair programming was awkward before because you're in a room with other people and you can't admit when you don't know things, right? You don't want to be the person who uh, created, you did the spike. Uh, you're the one who figured out how we're supposed to implement something. And there are things that you're running into. You're running into, you're hitting walls now and you don't know what the issue is. Um, a lot of people, especially people who are hoping to get promoted or like more junior people on the team, uh, they, for whatever reason, they think that it would be a little embarrassing to publicly be repeatedly having problems and to look like you're unable to overcome them publicly. So uh, I like to start off our meetings, uh, especially like peer programming meetings with, I make plenty of mistakes, you know, I, I let them know, I've made enough mistakes to know that this, you know, rather than saying you're doing it wrong, or rather than saying this is the right way, I, I like to uh, state things in such that they clarify that, um, I know what the right answer is because I've gotten it wrong plenty of times, you know, and I just kind of set the tone that way. And so we're both able to get to a point where uh, they feel comfortable uh, making mistakes and talking me through problems and things like that. And it helps me as their manager to understand um, where I can help to guide things. So I think that uh, the isolation has improved people's uh, willingness to be open and honest. Oh, that's really interesting. That's, I suspect that's super common. You see people talk about imposter syndrome or they might get anxiety in public speaking or trying to share their ideas because there's that fear there that will somehow be invalidated by our peers. Yeah, one thing that I, I agree. Uh, one thing that I find interesting about like the imposter syndrome concept, like people see me solve a problem and they say, oh, I never would have gotten that or something like that, right? And uh, usually I try to like nip that in the bud uh, like immediately. Something we were talking about earlier, problems are composed of components. After years of running into different problems, you start to see components of problems that you've seen before and problems that you've never seen before. Uh, it could be a misunderstanding. It could be a perception of um, something as a blocker when you can come to the same outcome without doing whatever you think you need to do that you just physically can't for whatever reason. And uh, you know, asking the questions that you need to ask yourself to figure out which things uh, are real blockers and which ones you can kind of eschew. It's easier to have those conversations about what you don't know kind of in these isolated situations, pair programming or uh, debugging and things like that on, mm. on Zoom calls, I think. For me, it sounds like it's not necessarily, while it might bring like blanket comfort, you know, like you, when you go to bed at night and you put the blanket over you, you feel safe from the boogeyman. Yeah, yeah. It's not oh, I feel addressing you. the problem that someone can break into your house. <laughs> right, right, right. 
Yeah, yeah, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that's a real blocker. You know, get, get, get some bars at that boogeyman's out there. Yeah. But um, so, I, well, I wanted to go back yeah. to something else you said, Edgar, that I thought was interesting mm-hmm. was we have to schedule everything now. And we can't rely on being, some of us, maybe we can because some folks are actually back at their office. For those of us that aren't, and for those of us that actually will never be back at the office. If I could draw a parallel to my, the question I'm trying to ask is there was um, an interior designer that was designing um, offices. And I forgot what their name is. I'm going to butcher the story. But when they designed it, they put the bathrooms like on opposite sides, right? So they forced traffic and people have to actually cross the entire office to get to the opposite side to get to the side of the restroom or some kind of facility or they they would put uh, kitchens on either side of the office to get people to actually physically walk by each other. And they saw that that had some positive effect on the culture of the office. When you say now we have to schedule everything, that kind of po- that story popped into my head. So if I, what are the, like probably like the three things that are new that I now have to, you think that I ha- would want to consider scheduling time for? I think the, you said um, fun, right? Scheduling mm-hmm. time for fun, I think is a really now good Now is zero dollars, which used to be a big budget problem. Uh, they can have fun, but it better not cost me anything. They can have fun, but you're paying out of pocket. Uh, I, they deserve it, but I just don't have the money in the budget for it. So that's uh, not a problem anymore. So yeah, fun. The uh, second thing I would say is casual conversations where you run into a problem and you now need to talk about it, where you might just like uh, be visibly having an issue at your desk and someone could jump in and be like, hey, buddy, can I help out? Scheduling time for the team to meet about things as the manager. Uh, like it's nice if the team self-organizes. Um, but, um, I've encouraged knowledge share a lot more. Uh, so I've scheduled time for, uh, people to describe the problem statement. A lot of times they don't have an answer for what the problem statement is. They just know what they're supposed to be doing, but the problem, if the problem could be solved in a different way, we haven't discussed it. So scheduling time to make sure that the team understands the like problem domain and is approaching it from, a uh, how do we get the desired outcome rather than how do we do what I was asked to do? So I try to schedule time for that kind of ideation, uh, like the pre-coding ideation. Um, And uh, I don't know, top three, definitely fun, uh, definitely uh, ideation. But uh, it's hard because you want to avoid meetings in general. You don't want them to be too long. Right. Yeah. yeah, People get that meeting fatigue almost because now we spend all our time in meetings. We lose the impromptu or the benefits of, of impromptu conversation. Yeah, uh, kind of a minor segue there. Um, I was reading an article recently that if you see people in person and you talk to people or on Zoom, you see people on Zoom or whatever, you talk to people over these teleconference softwares, it feels okay. You're talking to them, you know, but your mind, your human body has an experience it's used to. When you're done talking to someone, they walk away. When you're done talking to someone, they physically have to leave the room or you know, uh, they might still be next to you and not speaking anymore. Your conversation's over and they're working alongside you. But when you're on a Zoom call and you're in a room full of people and suddenly that room full of people doesn't exist at the end of the call, there is a part of your brain that rejects that, that says it's not physically possible for a room full of people to just evaporate. Uh, and so the Zoom fatigue I had read comes from uh, your body being used to certain aspects of reality uh, that are known to be like hard fact of your daily life no longer existing um, and it's jarring to not hear people leaving the room and uh, feel that sense that um, you're there. It has like a significant negative impact 
on our like uh, psychological, like emotional um, experience uh, as we're going from meeting to meeting. Uh, some things I've seen people do that I've actually done on a couple of non-work meetings is to have kind of like outdoor sounds going. And as people are leaving, you know, they're not outdoors anymore. They're clicking off, but maybe they're going inside and they were outside, you know. Just kind of having like light audio going in the background and things like that to kind of give it a, a feel. I haven't gauged anybody's interest in that or measured uh, the outcome. Uh, but having read that, I've been thinking about um, how I can make people feel less of that fatigue as the day goes on. And my meetings uh, for our uh, volunteer work and for our uh, like extracurricular activities, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from people saying that they don't feel like their meetings at all. That at the end of it, they feel positive feelings when they leave. They feel energized when they leave and they want to do something else. Um, they've said, uh, it, that wasn't work. I'm leaving this meeting to go do some work, but that doesn't count as work. Uh, so I think it's been having a positive impact. All right. One of the teams I, I was part of, uh, we scheduled like probably like twice a week. We scheduled like an hour or two hours, just a Zoom, just running Zoom while working. And people can just talk or be quiet. And just, you know, just kind of like a casual conversation, trying to recreate that office environment where people can talk or be quiet and just whatever, talk about whatever. So it was interesting experiment. How long did you run that for? Uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, I think it's still actually still going. I'm not sure exactly. Do you really? guys remember the Priceline window? Oh, yeah. Between offices. Yeah, we had that. Well, that was um, there was a television, right? And there was a live feed from both offices from uh, the the office in Connecticut and the office in New York and kind of see people there. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. It was pretty fun. I remember uh, seeing a lot of waves of uh, people I hadn't seen in a long time walking by. Pretty fun. That is old days. Had not occurred to me, but maybe that would be a fun thing for our, uh, for our team to do. For a little while, I tried to organize lunch times, but not everybody eats at lunch at the same time, so... I wanted to organize like group lunches. The team used to have group lunches. I also um, have been organizing calls for birthdays and things like that. Mm. Uh, one of our guys works in the UK and uh, we called him up and uh, just put the message out to everybody, you know, hop on a call real quick, two minutes, sing happy birthday, go back to work, just like you would at your desk. Mm. So we've been having kind of like uh, guerrilla meetings, just popping up out of nowhere just for fun. Do you ship like cake you to everyone? <laughs> yeah <laughs> we did not ship cake to everyone this time although uh i did find a drop shipper we made a shirt and uh all they have to do is go to this website and uh they can each uh just pay the shipping for their own shirt and i went ahead and uh paid for the team shirt mm -hmm. so uh i don't know if you're familiar with drop shipping but um uh yeah we don't uh, for anybody you know listening that doesn't know what that is we don't have to specify the recipients. Each recipient can go and just collect their own item. Uh, they'll send to however many addresses. Um, you know, I don't have to like receive the box at my house and then remail them to everybody else. <laughs> you don't have right. You don't have to have your own storage and factory. They just kind of um, sometimes they'll white label it. Right? They'll say it's from. Oh, this is from Edgar. And <laughs> <laughs> I didn't spring for any sort of uh, Edgar labels in the shirts or anything like that. But uh, yeah, fun, fun silly stuff. So Edgar, something, um, and Alex too, so the fun part, and when you're scheduling fun, uh, you mentioned Google Earth, 
as kind of a, a team activity. I'm looking for more ways to spend time with my team, to draw engagement, to build morale. Do you have any ideas that we haven't gone over yet that you've tried? Mm -hmm. One thing that we did, which we didn't do remotely, um, but that we did in the past, is uh, we organized our own hackathon. We gave our team two days to hack on whatever they wanted to hack on. Uh, we organized it internally within our team. They gave them the opportunity to have fun, to collaborate with people within our group that they don't normally work on a daily basis with. Uh, and they delivered really excellent tools like that brought significant positive business value that they just didn't feel like they could work on during their like regular day-to-day -day exercises. So I'm looking forward to, uh, we actually just got done with like the all hands entire company hackathon. So we won't be having it anytime soon, but I'm looking forward to scheduling one uh, in the coming months uh, for our virtual uh, group. And I would highly recommend giving that a try. They had a lot of fun. I didn't get to hack too much. Uh, I had a lot on my hands for uh, organizing it because the last one was in person. So I think I might be able to join a hack team this time around now that it'll be virtual. That makes a lot of sense. It gives, it gives us an opportunity to use our skills to explore ideas that we might have. Also says that it's okay to put things aside for now and be free to explore something on your own. Yeah. And I th and that kind of gives a sense of relief, I suspect as well. Yeah. And people seem to have a lot of fun. I think, um, it also helps to improve the perception of like coding. Like uh, sometimes people, especially in this remote environment, uh, whether they have uh, you know kids dangling from their arms or whether they're uh, putting a lot of pressure on themselves to show that working from home, you know, uh, a lot of people, this is their first time working from home, and they don't want the perception that it's having a detrimental impact. Maybe they enjoy working from home, and they're hoping that they'll be able to continue it even after things clear up. Um, and uh, they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves to have this be the best code they've written, you know, or at least to not introduce more bugs than they normally would. So we can be under a lot of stress. And so hackathons are an opportunity to look at coding as something fun, you know, uh, a passion and uh, interest uh, more than just something that you're being held accountable to deliver. Mm. I could share something that I've, I've had some fun doing because our team culture is a lot of the folks on, on my team, we have similar interests. I had a personal goal to do more for birthdays or for the birth to celebrate the birthdays of the folks on my team. And so I thought uh, loot crate would be a fun way to ship something like a box of randomness to uh, someone. And uh, during, once it arrived during the daily standup, they would unbox it and then show everybody what they got. And we would kind of celebrate together. Loot crate's been largely inconsistent, but <laughs> it, uh, well, that's yeah, where it randomness comes concerned. in, right? It that's is random. By stuff. design. But what's but it's a bummer. What's a bummer is when like you order it for a birthday and it doesn't arrive until their half birthday. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's a pretty big offset there. <laughs> it, it is. It is. But stuff like that's actually something that that I've tried, and it's uh, it, like it's, it's something like people kind of look forward to. You know, it gives people something that you know we're there, and it's also there's a social contract with everyone else that you have to wait and uh, share this with, with the team. I love that idea. I've been trying to figure out uh, virtual ways to do stuff like that. I think uh, I, I'm not a, you know, my job isn't graphic design or anything like that, but uh, in the past I've made like uh, little virtual birthday cards and have people, uh, we use a website. I forget what the name of the website was. I'll, uh, I'll send it to y'all as soon as I remember it, but there's uh, several, I'm sure, where you can have people sign a birthday card and the pages are infinite. 
so they just had signatures from all over the place. I think uh, Tribute is one of the websites. Tribute uh, has kind of a, an unusual kind of sign-up process. It kind of looks like you're going to have to pay for it. Uh, Tribute is, uh, you, you don't have to uh, in order to use it, um, but um, Tribute is a video one. So we did that for like birthdays and graduations and um, uh, like in our regular life. And uh, it's another tool that I think would be an excellent one to use for celebrating people at work. Mm. Uh, where they can keep those videos forever uh, or however long tribute exists uh, if they don't download them. Um, but yeah, everybody can just send like a video birthday wish to them and they can flip through, spend, spend a few minutes flipping through and uh, finding joy from their team. So. This is really interesting. It looks like uh, you can create an occasion and then record, invite people to share a video. Yeah, so you might say like um, Massey's promotion or, you know, uh, Massey launched a new, pro new product launch, you know, uh, thanks for your leadership, Massey, thanks to the entire team, whatever, and have everybody submit videos thanking the team, and they'll be able to watch and rewatch those videos of uh, their peers celebrating them like they might have in person, yeah, and have them for reference in the future. I think I'm going to try this. This is a great idea. We did uh, something similar, too, with the card signing. I think that does have a really nice effect because it gives everyone an opportunity to kind of share um, like positive feedback about how, you know, we affect each other's lives in the workspace. Yeah, uh, there's something built into Amex. I don't know. Um, it's called uh, Blue Rewards. Um, they can be money or non-monetary um, gifts that you can give to your coworkers for helping out. Uh, if your company has a program like that, make sure you're flexing that program, you know, uh, flexing that muscle and uh, taking advantage of the opportunity to celebrate your team with uh, financial, uh, you know, little tip, hat tips. And if they don't, perhaps build out a system where you can do just the verbal thank yous uh, if you don't already have one. Uh, they also provide that. That's so, a great tip. So like explore what your company or your organization might already offer because some of those things could be not hidden, but not talked about a lot. For sure. I know in our case, uh, there are like budgets set aside to thank each other, significant budgets. So uh, within our team, actually, we've had some people be thanked enough that they were able to buy themselves a very fancy bike. Some people got themselves like GoPros and things like that with uh, the thankings of like months of people thanking them here and there, little thank yous and things like that. And they really add up. Yeah, we have uh, we have a similar thing at uh, at LinkedIn. It, it's called Kudos. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's kudos.com. So it's an internal program that uh, you kind of like. The more kudos um, you earn as a person, the, it's kind of points. You collect points, and you can convert those points into some kind of products. And they have a catalog of products. Yep, same. Um, yeah, it's like a it's like a budget. Uh, but like you said, people forget about that and it's mm -hmm. like been neglected for some time. And only and now. some people are embarrassed to ask. Yeah. Mm. Mind sending me over a kudos, you know, that kind of thing. And um, I think one of the, the really, really cool things about a program like that is uh, something that you were going to buy yourself anyway. It just adds a significant meaning to it, you know, uh, mm. to be receiving it as a thank you. Like, I was going to buy this for myself, whether as like a thank you for my hard work or as a, just a general thing I just wanted to buy myself. But now it has meaning forever. I may be two companies later and still, you know, proud of having earned it. That's interesting. That's almost bringing a, uh, a material manifestation of the things you're doing in your career. Yeah. And uh, like the general appreciation, like you might have like a shelf where you're like, 
this is the GoPro of me being good at software engineering. This is the, uh, you know, bicycle of me being good at writing documentation and, and or, or taking that extra step and actually helping people and making kind of positive impact outside of what like my responsibility and jury tickets that I had. Right. Mm-hmm. So people actually mm-hmm. took the time and, and said thank you to me and appreciated what I've done. I've noticed that the majority of points that I've seen going back and forth to people that report to me and shows it um, like a list of people receiving and giving and things like that. Uh, and you actually get notifications if you haven't thanked someone in a while. It'll say like the last time you thanked someone was two months ago and th- things like that. But I've noticed that uh, typically it's uh, when we're going out of our way to help other teams, that's usually when I see people thanking each other with blue rewards. I, I don't see it happen as often within the team. Uh, and again, I think it's uh, kind of one of those like BAU things. Uh, sometimes people don't think to thank each other for just um, keeping the lights on. Um, but it's vitally important and it's uh, the core of our business to keep those lights on. So. Those programs are amazing, and I'm really glad that they exist. And I hope that uh, anybody listening has a program like that at your company. And if not, hopefully you can be the positive change maker that helps to create the first one. Yeah, if not, you can always slag somebody and say thank you and appreciate them. Uh, just recognize them, right? It doesn't have to be a fancy program with GoPros. It <laughs> <laughs> would be nice, but it doesn't have to be. 100%. I love it. Yeah, that's super funny. All right, cool. So um, any other tips kind of before we wrap up? I know you have to go. Um, anything else you would recommend in terms of like managing or leading and just working remotely with your team or just uh, kind of culture in general? Anything mm-hmm. that you want to add? Something that I have escalated significantly since we weren't remotely is uh, documenting everything. Every time we have a problem, like a meeting, I have like a template. I state the problem statement. Uh, I might be fresh to the problem, and I ask enough questions to be able to fill in a problem statement, fill in uh, like the things that we've tried, fill in what our uh, desired outcome is, uh, because not everybody on the team might know, but everyone on the team is most likely capable of contributing. Uh, I think it's uh, more essential now that we're remote uh, to empower everyone with enough data to be able to see the opportunity for them to contribute. It's a lot more manual. They're not going to overhear something that's going to click with them because they're not in the room all the time, or they might not be fully paying attention because uh, it's their 38th uh, WebEx or something like that of the day. So we need to uh, make a, uh, an effort not only to document, which is useless if people can't discover it, but to also make it so that people are aware of it and the team has a standard for where to find these things so that the discoverability is high. Discoverability and uh, documentation are two vitally important things that uh, now that we're in the pandemic, uh, I've found um, have a significant positive impact uh, on empowering others to help and find opportunities to make yeah, positive would be, change. Would be beneficial even if we come back to the office. Like documentation is always. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. people always think they can just uh, you know lean over to the person next to them and ask about stuff or whatever. But a lot of times you're in the zone. Uh, there's no one around. There's no sound that's going to trigger you to remember. Hey, I should talk to somebody else or something like that. You know, uh, you're in isolation. Um, so if there's not a process in place for communicating these things, uh, we're going to have the realization that we have a minute to do so, and we're not going to do it because it's not going to be on our radar to do it. Um, so I think, yeah. That talk, the way you described that sounds like, uh, you've heard of asynchronous workflows Are companies thinking asynchronously. It sounds the way you described it is when you go through it and you document it in such a way that invites for continued collaboration over a period of time. 
in my opinion, sounds like it, it welcomes that type of work. Yep. Something that we've, uh, that I've been participating more recently, it's called architecture decision records. Have you guys heard of those ADRs? So architecture decision records, uh, and sorry, Alex, it looked like you were going to say something. Yeah. GitHub posted uh, a blog post a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was like uh, about that pretty short give it a read. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Thank you. Yeah, architecture decision record, uh, we own that we're making a decision and we own that we're making it based on the data that we have. And we update it to own when we realize that we were wrong or when we realize that there's areas for improvement. And what this does is it gives the team the ability to be wrong and to still execute. It gives the team the ability to communicate uh, months later why we did that. And uh, rather than perceiving it as a mistake, uh, we can perceive it as the right thing to do with the data that we had, and we're doing a new right thing based on the new data that we have, and uh, like persistently give ourselves credit for being the capable engineers that we are, and kind of try to uh, help ourselves fight any organizational built-in imposter syndrome from those sorts of things. Um, so uh, that just general anything that we can think of that helps to. Um, provide a comfortable, known way for us to communicate with each other asynchronously is going to be vitally important as we go forward in this uh, remote work style, All right. I think. All right. Really great advice. Thank you. That was a great, great conversation. All right. So, Edgar, anything else going on? Any side projects you want to talk about <laughs> where people can find you and, and, and reach out to you? <laughs> I am working on side projects. Uh, I would say um, I don't really, I don't necessarily have anything that I want people looking for me for, but uh, I would highly recommend that folks with the engineering capability uh, to empower other people uh, to have a similar career should reach out to Code Nation and uh, should um, um, work with them to teach students from under-resourced high schools the software engineering skills uh, to get careers in today's challenging, changing environment. They're teaching remotely, so they're going to be well-equipped to continue working um, as engineers in this remote uh, situation that we're in. Uh, one uh, other thing that I've been working on that folks might want to know about, Camp Empire is an international online summer camp for adults. We had 150 activities at our last one, uh, and they range from uh, machine learning class for beginners uh, to just butter cow carving, you know, uh, just get your mind off of whatever the stresses of your week are and uh, join us for uh, silly activities, artistic activities, uh, professional development activities. Uh, we're online on a Zoom call for 30 hours uh, over the course of three days each Camp Empire weekend. And our next one is Halloween weekend. So uh, our Campy Empire is on Instagram, Facebook, and um, at campyempire at gmail.com for anybody who has any questions. But um, uh, yeah, we're just doing everything that we can to make, to bring joy to folks uh, and professional development to folks who are struggling with this new remote um, isolated situation. And we encourage you to do the same. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Edgar. Yeah. Oh, and something I didn't mention about that, we have dozens of volunteers from around the world. So wherever you're listening from, we've had volunteers from Kenya. Uh, people join us to follow along in sessions from Serbia. Uh, we've got people coming in from all around the world. So if you have anything to contribute at all, relying on you to help us to affect positive change all around the world. So whatever it is that you have to bring to the table, it's valuable and we'd like to hear about it. Awesome. Very cool, Edgar. All right. Thanks. Thanks.
Thanks for tuning in to the Pragmatic Lead Podcast. If you found this conversation interesting or helpful, we would appreciate your feedback. If you want even more content like what you just heard, check out pragmaticlead.com. If you have a story to tell, send an email to pragmaticlead at gmail.com and someone will be in touch. Thanks again.